and welcome to our sixth episode of Conversations, a monthly podcast from GSFM. The series focuses on investment concepts and outcomes of interest to you and your clients. Our first series has focused on income and today's instalment continues that theme. In today's environment, where can investors go in their search for income? Today's podcast features GSFM's CEO, Damien McIntyre, and Redpoint Investment Management's CEO and Senior Portfolio Manager, Max Capetta, discussing income from Australian equities. Together, they'll look at the Aussie equity dividend landscape and if and how it's changing now that inflation is rampant and rates are rising. Before I hand over, I need to read this important notice. The information contained in this podcast is general and does not consider your objectives, financial situation or needs. The information and views contained in this update reflects, as of the date of recording, the current opinions of the participants and are subject to change without notice. Before making an investment decision in relation to a fund, investors should consider the appropriateness of this information, having regard to their own objectives, financial situation and needs, and read and consider both the product disclosure statement and the additional information. GSFM Responsible Entity Services has produced a target market determination in relation to all of the GSFM funds. The TMD sets out the class of persons who comprise the target market for the various funds which can be downloaded from our website. This podcast was recorded on Friday the 1st of July 2022. Damo and Max, happy new financial year to you. The floor is yours. Thank you very much, Tracy, and happy financial new year to you too, and welcome aboard, Max. Thanks, Damien. It's great to be here, and happy new year to you too. Well, as Tracy discussed in the outline, this is the sixth episode of Conversations. And we have focused on income in the first series. So perhaps what we might do, Max, is make this the income series swan song for now. And we've chosen another topic for the next series, which is responsible or SRI investment and impact investment. So we'll be looking to populate the next series with managers in GSFM stable with disciplines and, dare I say, products in that SRI and impact space. So Max, no pressure, but we've got to make our last episode today the most interesting of the lot, I dare say. Well, let's let's give it a go. I'm sure we can, Damien. So uh, having gone through six episodes, the story really has become more complex as the, as the series has gone on. And it's been exacerbated by rising inflation, which has really made real interest rates or term deposits and bonds, it's really made it hard for them to keep up. Bonds and cash, of course, have no growth component to the asset class. And when compared against inflation, Yesterday, for example, I bought a term deposit for my father-in-law, the uh, the lofty height of 1.45%. And then when you factor in an inflation rate that's arguably four times that, in real terms, he's really been left behind. Yeah, that is difficult, isn't it? Yeah. So that sort of gets us to equities and, and why they're important because equities, of course, are a hedge to inflation. So, so what I might do, Max, is just sort of, let's just quickly recap on market activity since, you know, the beginning of, of January. And I've heard you refer to this recent bout of market volatility as the valuation readjustment that we had to have. So talk us through that. 
Yeah, look, thanks, Damien. Look, I think when we look at what's really transpiring, there's there's a couple of key things which really become obvious, you know, in terms of investing in Australian shares for income. Firstly, if you look at the volatility of dividend payments over the last few years, kind of the more things change, as soon as you average out over sort of a three-year window, what you see is that, you know, cash dividend payments have been reasonably consistent and growing consistently when you take that sort of broader window. Now, what we've seen so far this year is, you know, interest rates essentially having to renormalize away from those emergency settings that were set in place back in 2020. But it's been a little bit more interesting than that because, you know, the central bank's old foe inflation has really now actually, you know, come back into the fray. And so what we're seeing is interest rates being risen, just not in terms of coming back to quote unquote more normal levels. But in fact, now needing potentially to go higher to actually curtail inflation, both as it is today and expectations for inflation in the future. And what's happened there is we've obviously seen pricing for equities drop off. The US market's probably had its worst start to a calendar year in decades, being off 20%. The Australian equity market has also fallen. It's probably off just about 10% year to date. But nonetheless, what we are seeing is that equities are being repriced for that higher inflation. But what I think is interesting at the moment when we look at earnings, earnings expectations are still reasonably solid both for fiscal year 2022, which we just completed yesterday and we'll head into reporting season shortly, and also for fiscal year 2023, so the year ahead, which then actually means that at the moment we're expecting a cash dividend yield of approximately 5% from the ASX 200, which compared to that interest rate that you know you got from the bank yesterday, obviously is very attractive in terms of being... You know, multiples of that 1.4%. But I think the other important element is that what we know over the longer term is that earning an income by taking a share of the profits that you know successful companies pay as dividends, those payments do grow over time. And over a long enough window, the share prices are always going to be more volatile than earnings. The earnings are more volatile than the dividends. But over time, you actually end up in a better place because the equity market and the value of those shares grows over time in line with the economy. In many ways, I think while there has been some volatility in dividends over the last few years, we're actually in a really good place at the moment. And really, it's all about whether interest rates will be taken up to the point where they actually incur a recession. And then I think people need to think very carefully about how they position their portfolios over the next year to make sure that they capture both a decent dividend yield, which will still be probably better than interest rates on offering term deposits, but then can also capture reasonable growth for the long term in terms of the value of the shares that they own. Yeah, as painful as equity market volatility is for those who mark to market and those who look at the absolute value of their wealth fluctuate, the silver lining in volatility is that it does create buying opportunities along the way. Of course, we all have to reach a point in the cycle where equities stop falling before people really get the courage to continue to buy or or to re-enter the market in any sort of stealth. The prudent investor always has a percentage of cash in his portfolio that he can deploy for these very opportunities. And certainly that's what we've seen emerge. As you say, uh, equities are down 10% year to date. And that would have certainly, well, certainly made the dividends more attractive and great Mm -hmm. buying opportunities in, in some blue chip names. 
Yeah, exactly right, Damien. I mean, I sometimes think about it to give a very simple example. There, there's certain times, if you're lucky enough at the supermarket, that you'll see the gift cards where it's a $50 gift card on sale for $40. And, you know, I've always had fun with my children to get their Apple card topped up and saying, well, they're going, hang on, it's $40, but I actually get $50 worth of value. And and that's what happens with equity markets. There's sentiment and behavioral biases and sort of animal spirits that make prices fluctuate. And, and I think if you are an income investor for the long term, if you actually see at times when prices are being depressed because of sentiment, because of maybe expectations or extrapolation of interest rates going higher and inflation going out of control, that can actually set up and open up an amazing set of opportunities to actually buy income you know, for cheap because those prices are depressed. But quite frankly, the earnings that these companies are going to continue to produce are far less volatile than share prices would have you think on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, the dividends that are paid to shareholders really are a function of companies' profitability. And you're right, earnings and profits are volatile through the cycle. But that said, it is actually a big decision for a chief executive or a board to cut the dividend. It's a far easier decision to raise it. It's very tough for them to cut it, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely right. And I think, you know, companies will have their policies around payout ratio. And so they'll want to stay within the realms of their dividend payout policy. I think the other interesting element is that if you look at the, the demographics of where we are here in Australia and in many ways around the world, you know, we actually have you know, almost a third of our retirement savings pool at the moment going into retirement over the next 10 years. Uh, so that's almost a trillion dollars that will move from accumulation to retirement. And and we see that there's going to be a greater focus on companies you know, paying dividends, being able to maintain a consistent dividend, because that will become attractive to a far greater proportion of investors in the marketplace. And quite frankly, there will be demand for that kind of activity by companies to be managing their cash flows properly and to pay a consistent dividend. And so in many ways, while we see that you know there is this demand and people are going to invest that way, we also think that there may in fact be a tailwind that some of these stocks that can actually maintain that consistency of dividend will actually trade at a slight premium to what they may have done so in the past because those characteristics will be more and more in demand. Yeah, well, well, that's right, isn't it? It's where we are in this continuum of, of a an, an aging population, and as you say, a, a third of the population is, is will enter retirement over the next ten mm. years, and that's as you outlined. That's that's a lot of dough. So that means that those companies that are that are good dividend payers will consistently be well bid, which is terrific for those of us who hold them. But equally, yeah, no, the, the superannuation industry itself is moving in that direction by virtue of the government not so much mandating but having a retirement incomes policy at the forefront of fund structures. Yeah, and look, I think that's really important. And I think when investors and the big super funds come to appreciate that requirement and that need and the demand, I think there's going to be a range of opportunities that they need to be looking at in terms of how best to actually deliver that outcome. And I think one of the things as we look forward into 2023, we're actually coming off really what is going to be a record year for dividend payments in 2022. 2023 looks like it's going to be slightly better again, but it's really interesting that 
dynamics underneath in terms of which industries and which companies are actually growing their earnings, growing their profits and being able to produce this dividend growth. We've done some research recently where, you know, we've really seen the steady decline of the banking sector in terms of the proportion of the dividends that come out of the financial sector relative to the rest of the ASX 200. And last year, as many people will know, it was the mining sector, particularly the iron ore miners that were just having this bumper year. And, you know, what we forecast is that the material sector is probably still going to have a very strong year in terms of dividend payments in 2023, but it's likely to be weaker than last year. The real standout, and again, in many ways, maybe not surprisingly, is the energy sector. The energy sector in Australia is the only one to have actually posted a positive return on a year-to-date basis, maybe with the exception of the utility sector as well, but there has been, there's not many stocks in that sector. And in the energy sector, we know that the pricing of oil and gas, and particularly coal, is driving those stocks to have super normal profits, and they will be the ones that will have large dividend payments. I think the interesting thing for investors here is to watch out in terms of the volatility of commodities and the resources sector. It's great to see those dividend payments, but companies and investors need to be really looking ahead in terms of what is the profile of those dividend payments. A lot of people might say that, look, the mining and the energy sector are trading quite cheap at the moment. I think resources always trade cheap at the peak of their earnings cycle. And what we expect to see is that those earnings will then drop off over the next couple of years and we'll then see some further, albeit less aggressive growth out of the financials, healthcare and other sectors. And this is where it really, I think, becomes important in terms of having some diversification across different businesses and different sectors, particularly when we're faced with the uncertainty of interest rates and the impact of inflation on profits in the year ahead. Yeah, it's it's a conundrum for the, uh, well, it's an interesting dilemma for the banks. On the one hand, their interest rate margins will improve as rates rise. Yep. But at the same time, it's very hard to maintain loan growth or in a rising interest rate environment. So It'll be very interesting to see how those two dynamics play out in the next few quarters. No, exactly right. And I think, you know, the things to keep an eye on is obviously what is happening with inflation, because if we do start to see inflation actually start peaking and actually rolling back, then expectations for where interest rates are going to be increased to will, will obviously change. And, uh, you know, people will expect that interest rates will peak slightly lower. If inflation is in fact even more entrenched than we'd expected, then interest rates will most likely be put up higher to obviously stop that. And that will have an impact on growth. It'll have an even bigger impact on on a pretty heavily indebted consumer in Australia. Albeit we do know that, and the banks have said this, that people have been sitting on quite a stash of savings, you know, higher than normal. And so while interest rates are going up and mortgage costs are going up, there does seem to be quite a buffer within the system. But nonetheless, we do expect that consumer demand will soften. And then that kind of starts to indicate maybe the kind of sectors where there may be opportunities for needing to avoid companies that maybe are going to see revenue drop off versus the other sectors where maybe demand is less elastic, maybe, for example, in healthcare, people are unwell or they need to take a particular test, then regardless, they will make the budget for that. Whereas maybe discretionary spending might soften as personal budgets get hit a little bit harder. Yeah. Well, it's the double whammy lately, isn't it? We've had consumers are being hit on multiple fronts, food prices, energy prices, both petrol, electricity, gas, of course, higher mortgage payments. So yep. yeah, I mean, talk about headwinds. That'll be one we come back to. I just wanted to talk for a moment. I've heard you to discuss the 142 opportunity. What? what? Yeah. <laughs> Enlighten us. What exactly is that? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, look, it's 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 actually a funny thing. So what what I mean by the 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 one four two opportunity is that companies when they earn their profits, especially the ones that are domiciled here in Australia, and they pay tax on their profits, when they then go to pay a dividend to investors, they can actually attach a franking credit to that dividend. So for example, if a company earns a hundred dollars, they pay their thirty percent tax. So there's thirty cents in the dollar goes out to tax, and then the company distributes all of the remaining 70 cents, then what will happen in the hands of investors, they'll get the 70 cents cash per share. And then at year end, they can actually claim back the tax which was paid on those dividends by the company. And this is, you know, the imputation credit system, which has been in place here since the 1980s to avoid the double taxation of dividends. And the amazing thing here is that for retirees that are at a zero tax rate, essentially, they can actually reclaim the full value of those tax credits in their tax return. So what it means is that if you are getting a $1 dividend and it's fully franked, uh, technically you're going to get $1.42 of value and that additional $0.42 cents will come back to you at the end of the year when you go and actually put your tax return in. And what happens is you, you'll get taxed on that additional income at your marginal rate, but you'll get a credit for the $0.30 cents in the dollar, the 30% tax paid by the company. Now, the beauty of that, as I said beforehand, is for every dollar of fully frank dividends you earn from a company, for a retiree at a zero tax rate, they're actually getting a dollar forty-two worth of value. For yeah. every dollar of interest income that you earn from a bank deposit, you get a dollar of interest income. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, on, on the flip side, of course, the dollar of interest income, when you go and reclaim your term deposit, you'll get your full capital back. But you know, when you go, if you want to go sell your shares, there's obviously volatility in share prices and you may or may not get back the amount that you invested. But again, what we know is that if you're investing in the share market for the long term to get a capture of this dividend stream, which is tied to the earnings of corporate Australia, over the long term, those prices end up going up. And I think people can rest assured that even though there will be volatility in prices, over the long term, you know, assuming economic growth continues, you'd certainly expect the value of the ASX 200 and the companies therein to grow in line with that over time, which gives you this sort of inflation protection over the long term. So I think that that's a really sort of valuable element for investors to be considering. Because when I say the ASX 200 is trading on a 5% cash yield for next year, if you can reclaim all the tax credits, it's more like a 6.7% yield. Wow. Uh, which I think compared to even where interest rates may go in the foreseeable future, you know, I'd like to think is a pretty attractive outcome. And you know, making some investment in that space probably makes sense in any retirement income plan. Well, look, if it's 670 basis points and inflation is 500 basis points, call it or, or more, uh, well, inflation has to go north of 670 for yep. an investor to be going backwards in, in real terms. That's the power of it, isn't it? No, exactly right. And look, I don't think there's a strong belief around the marketplace that we're going to see 6% inflation for a prolonged period. It, it may be longer than we might have liked, but I don't think anybody's looking at consistent inflation like we saw in the 1970s. But of course, that's going to be a critical economic piece of information that everybody's going to be watching very closely, both here in Australia and around the world. Yeah, I do find it amusing listening to, let's just say politicians generally, rather than pick out politicians, um, saying that <laughs> the inflation rate, they're confident they can get the inflation rate down. And really, it's just math. The inflation rate is a comp 
to this, a number at either this time last month or this time last year. And so, for in, of course, inflation is going to come down over the next year if lettuces don't go from $10 to $20 yeah. or if oil doesn't go from $100 to $200. So I think it's, I think it's reasonable to expect that inflation will come off, which, which of course will be beneficial to the interest rate cycle and equally equities in general. But just coming back to your, I just want to just pick your brain about how you see earnings for the remainder of calendar year. Well, let, let's just, now that we're in the new financial year, what are you thinking for the next year or so? And what do you think are the, are the headwinds and opportunities? Yeah, so look, what we've seen so far, as much as equity markets have dropped in price, we haven't really seen any strong negative revisions to earnings expectations in 2023 thus far. Now, we are heading into reporting season in August. I think most companies will probably report a pretty robust financial year for 2022. And it's all going to be about sort of the forward guidance uh, that companies might give in terms of costs and where their profitability is going. At this stage, what we're seeing is that profit margins overall are probably slightly above average. And if we did see them come back to average by maybe dropping about 1%, then that might actually lead to earnings expectations dropping by around 5 to 10%. So I think the interesting thing is that while people have said this conundrum between, say, growth investing and value investing, and you know maybe growth is now on the decline with interest rates going up and value investing is back on the rise, I think in many ways what we are doing is looking at the growth profile in terms of company earnings. Because what's going to be really critical over the next year is whether companies can actually continue to eke out some incremental growth or whether the cost pressures that they're starting to see, they can't maintain their profit margin. And it's going to be about identifying those companies who can incrementally continue to grow. And that's then going to lead through to their earnings, you know, maybe staying as they are growing or at least falling less than others, and then them being able to maintain their dividend. So at the moment, we still see, while we saw iron ore in reporting season last year be very strong in dividends, we're going to see that in the energy sector as we go through August and September. Again, I think we're just sort of looking at the volatility of those kinds of stocks in the resources sector because they really are driven by that commodity price. If oil comes off, then we'll obviously see those stocks come off as well. The benefit in many ways to Australia, and I think why the Aussie equity market has done better than global equity markets in the last six months, is our exposure to commodities. And what we haven't seen to date is the potential for China to actually come out of their COVID lockdown and essentially to be growing again, which will be potentially quite counter-cyclical to the rest of the developed world, mainly Europe and the United States. Again, that could be really positive for uh, particularly our resources market. And then that just sort of funnels through to the rest of the Australian economy. That's definitely a place to keep an eye on for us. I think the other area is in banks, Damien. You know, they're, they're still trading quite cheap. They've done a lot of work over the last few years in terms of exiting their wealth businesses and refocusing in on their core business. We really like Commonwealth Bank and National Australia Bank because of the fact that they are tilted more towards business banking. And we think that while maybe mortgage growth may slow, there is still good lending and growth opportunities for them across the business sector. And as long as we don't end up in a recession type scenario, definitely, as you said beforehand, they'll have the tailwind of that interest margin expansion. And again, look, we're not looking for massive growth in bank dividends. We're probably still slightly below their pre-COVID highs. And I think it's 
probably going to take them another couple of years to get back to pre-COVID dividends. But nonetheless, there are some attractive dividend yields out there. And the nice thing about the banking sector is that those companies pay dividends at different points in the year, which enables people to take a more active approach and, you know, both capture a higher yield as well as getting those additional tax credits, which, as we spoke about beforehand, you know, can be really valuable in the hands of, you know, low and zero tax rate investors. So just summarising that point, it's, it's obviously very important for a focus to be on companies at the operating level. And what you're looking for is to see operating income increase year over year and that dividends are funded from that increase in operating income rather than selling the furniture to, uh, to pay a dividend. Yeah, look, exactly. And I think, I mean, another element within the mining sector, for example, there, there are still a number of what we call concept stocks, particularly in the in the lithium mining sector, that a lot of these stocks are actually are still trying to get the capex in place to be able to move into production. And while some of their share prices have risen substantially, we see that there's just massive risk in that space, even though over the long term, we know that this trend in terms of decarbonizing the economy is going to mean that some of those commodities are going to be in massive demand. But what we'd prefer to be invested in is those companies that are already in production today, already have the capex in place and are enjoying the benefits of the cash flow that is coming from those commodities now. And that will give them optionality in terms of being able to reinvest where they need to and also then to be able to throw off capital and cash flow to investors over the long term. And I think that's a real interesting dynamic within sort of this broader resources sector to be really focused on that production side of things. Because what you have with these companies that are yet to deploy their capex and not yet in production, they have two major risks. They've got the commodity price risk, which everybody has to deal with, but they've also got a commissioning risk. And that really is a bad combination for companies in this space if either one of those moves against them. Now, Max, the last point I wanted to discuss with you is is how Australians traditionally have constructed their Australian equity income portfolios. In, in that, they generally look to buy certain stocks, blue chips, hold them for long periods of time, and by and large, that's been a successful strategy. However, the Redpoint Australian Equity Income Fund runs a quantitative process, which is actually complementary to that strategy. Can you comment on that for us? Yeah, sure, Damien. I think when you look at the traditional approaches to trying to earn a higher dividend income from the Australian equity portfolio, you're dead right that people will generally look at the highest yielding stocks and maybe some of the blue chip names in the index and sort of hold them for the long term. Now, they will end up being successful in terms of generating income because, you know, Australia's largest banks, as well as, you know, companies like Telstra and Woolworths, I mean, even BHP, you know, have produced a consistent and growing dividend income over time. But if you simply focused on that one concept of yield, oftentimes you can have a very concentrated portfolio that's invested maybe in just a couple of sectors like financials and in the mining sector at the moment. And also too, you might also be investing in companies which maybe have low growth opportunities, hence why they're passing out a lot of their cash flow to investors because they don't have many dividend opportunities or growth opportunities. So what we try and do, we we use our quantitative approach, which gives us both an income perspective on what companies 
companies are going to be paying in the future in terms of dividends, and also a broad range of stock selection insights that are aimed at identifying those companies which we believe are going to be more outperformers of the marketplace versus underperformers. And what we can do is because we have these multiple views across each and every one of the ASX 200 companies each and every day, we can make quite interesting trade-offs as we head into the different periods when companies pay dividends over the calendar year. And what happens for us is that because we can trade across different companies that pay dividends at different times, we can earn a higher income over time. Because we can earn a higher income by being more active, it also enables us to diversify the portfolio and have investments across pretty much every sector of the ASX 300. Because sometimes when you just focus on yield, you'll probably actually not invest in maybe healthcare stocks, which are low yielding, you may have zero exposure to IT companies that again are probably reinvesting for future growth as opposed to paying out dividends or maybe just paying very small dividends. And that 142 opportunity that I spoke about beforehand, you may not invest in real estate stocks because they generally don't pay any franking credits, they just simply pass through their retail income. And so for us, it's really about blending together these different perspectives, looking to earn a consistent and above average dividend by looking at the dividend cycle of companies over the calendar year, and then informing those decisions through a broad range of stock selection perspectives. We look at, you know, what is the street view of earnings for these stocks? Uh, how are investors responding in terms of re-rating or de-rating these companies in terms of their momentum over time? And then what kind of news events in terms of, you know, company guidance and company announcements and how are investors reacting to that? We use all of that information as well as your traditional views around quality and growth and sustainability to determine which of the better yielding stocks we would want to invest in, which stocks maybe that are in the mid-yield bucket that we believe are good investments, and even some of those stocks that are maybe in those lower or zero dividend yield areas that we believe are good investments for the long term. They may not be paying a dividend today, but they can give you capital growth that can pay you good dividends in 10 years' time. And that really, I think, is at the heart of what we're trying to do, capture that consistent dividend income by being active across the dividend calendar over the year, and then using our stock selection and risk management management to inform those decisions as we go about our investing on a day-to-day -day basis. It's a really comprehensive approach, isn't it? Which really does complement the buy-hold strategy because really that's what we're looking to do. We're, we're looking to add to existing income strategies uh, employed by Australian investors with a different approach. Yeah, look, we definitely uh, definitely love the fact that a lot of retirees and investors do have their share portfolio. I think the role that we play is to provide them with this much broader diversified exposure to a broader range of companies that they may not otherwise focus on. And there's also a broader range of opportunities. Apart from dividend payments, there's quite valuable transactions like off-market buybacks of shares. Companies like CBA, the National Australia Bank, Woolworths have all undertaken these types of transactions 
transactions, which on an after-tax basis can be really attractive for investors. However, the process in terms of having to tender your shares and find out which shares got accepted into the tender and then getting the cash back, all of these things can actually be quite complicated. And I think that a lot of investors maybe actually leave value on the table. Whereas our approach is we're looking specifically for those transactions and have our processes ready to pounce in terms of capturing that extra value add that investors can get by participating in those types of transactions when they present themselves. Well, thank you. So if I can just summarise the key points that you raised with self and, and the listeners today, and that is, is that share prices are, of course, more volatile than dividends. It's a big decision for a CEO or a board to cut a dividend. So they, through time, you'll find they, they tend to remain static to growing as opposed to decreasing. Of course, the profitability of companies and sectors is cyclical, and, and that, of course, drives the cyclicality in dividend payments. And this is what it's all about. It's all about an economic cycle. So yesterday's dividend payers may not be necessarily tomorrow's dividend payers. And income-seeking investors should always have one eye on the total return of their portfolio. And this is why stock selection and diversification you know, becomes really critical. So that's where the Redpoint Australian Equity Income Fund complements a buy-hold strategy in that you really do think about and implement portfolio allocations and changes through time, taking in those three key points. So Max, on behalf of GSFM, Tracy and myself, thank you very much for participating in today's podcast. And we look forward to talking to you about SRI or perhaps uh, impact investments in the future. I'm looking forward to it, Damien. It's been great to have a chat. Thank you. Thank you.